everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Let's Talk Therapy. This is Rosemary Burns. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. First off, <laughs> it's a Monday morning and I'm going to totally sound like a, a diva for a second, so um, bear with me. <laughs> but earlier time than what I normally come in to record my podcast and uh, yeah, it, it's been a it's been a struggle this morning uh, because I felt totally rushed and, you know, I do it to myself in order to, to bring you guys new, new info, new, new education and outreach. Here I am. So bear with me. I'm usually, I, I wouldn't call myself a morning person um, because I don't like to talk and do anything. I can get up. It's like alarm goes off. I'm up. I'm going. I'm, let me get dressed. But I don't want to have a conversation with you. <laughs> I want to just go and do do my thing and don't don't bother me really until around like ten, and then and then I'm good to go. And then we're like, yeah, I can be pleasant and focused and and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't feel very focused right now, but anyhow, yeah, I know that's feel bad for me, <laughs> but um, anyhow, okay, so let's get to it. I know I usually try and start out with um, what I learned between last podcast and this podcast. And I'll tell you, so I'm still learning um, technology and how to upload my title for the the episode and then podcast description. Yeah, I I have issues with that. I'm trying really hard. I think I have it down, but but apparently I made a mistake this morning. I have to go in and fix it. So um, that's something I learned. But you can always find something that you've learned between last podcast and this podcast. But instead of what I learned, I wanted to do a little bit of a follow-up to um, what I kind of ended with last, um, last podcast, because last podcast was all about forgiveness and making choices and the ability to make choices and empathy. I know I ended up with talking about forgiveness and how important it is. Of course, it's, like I said in the previous episode, not my place to tell anybody when, you know, when it's right for them to forgive somebody. So I forgot to say, and I thought about it after I was done recording, I was like, ah, I've, I forgot to say that. When you're thinking about for, forgiveness, the person who wronged you or, or made a mistake or whatever, um, they don't necessarily need to be sorry. Now, do I think that it helps in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, uh, you know, I think that's common sense that if someone actually came to you and said, I'm so sorry for whatever I did, that I think, and, and it's sincere, um, I do think that would help. But if you think about it, the forgiveness is, is also for you. So yes, it, it definitely, you know, if that, if that person is sincerely sorry, um, it, it could help them. I think most people can, can get that, but forgiveness is also for the person doing the forgiving. You, you let, you get to let go of whatever that wrong was because if you keep holding on to it, I know I said this, it poisons you. Also, just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you have to have them in your life. That is the segue. Yay, segue. Um, into this episode, which I wanted to start a series on relationships and toxic relationships to be specific because we, we all have relationships. You know, we, humans are social creatures. Um, so 
And this is a very loaded topic because there is so much that we can talk about when it, it comes to relationships. Tox and like I said, specifically this time, toxic relationships. They don't just have to be, or we don't ha just have to be talking about romantic relationships. There's all kinds of different toxic relationships. It could be between siblings. It could be between parent and parents and children. Um, it can be romantic relationships with partners and spouses. And it could just be, you know, because there's so much, this is going to be, this is going to take more than just one, one episode of, of podcasting. Um, at least that's what I'm expecting. Now, let me just put out there my credentials. I am not a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so keep that in mind. When I talk about this, I'm talking general, general clinical psychology, general relationships. And like I said, I'm, I'm not an expert in marriage and family. Um, but there is, like I said, general generalizations that, you know, we learn when we're in school and that, of course, you learn with experience and working in the field. So most relationships and most toxic relationships have to deal with boundaries. What's a boundary? Boundaries are limits, sometimes unsaid, but sometimes said. Things that, you know, you accept or reject as part of your value system or part of your behavioral system. Oftentimes, when we talk about toxic relationships, it's because those boundaries are not being followed by one or both people that in, in the relationship that we're talking about. So there's certainly many, many, many different types of toxic relationships. Um, and like I said, especially when you take into account that we're not just talking about romantic relationships. So here's a few, and these are not, like I said, these are not like in a marriage, maybe they are, but they may be called something different. But this is just, again, generalization of some toxic behaviors that um, can be found in relationships. So codependent, and I'll go back and, I'll, and I'll, we're going to talk about each of these. So the codependent, controlling, mooching, constant drama, autopilot, and then there's like many more. Um, but those are some of the main ones that I thought would be important to talk about. And so I wanted to talk first with controlling. Um, so when you think of controlling relationships, what does it make you think about? Take a second and be like, hmm, what does it mean to, to be in a relationship that's controlling? And this is really interesting because, you know, it, like you can't, you can't escape it. So if I'm working with a client who, as an individual and they're in some kind of relationship with somebody, whether it is parents, a significant other, almost undoubtedly it comes into what we're working on in one way or another um, because, again, we're social creatures. So somebody may come in and, and they're talking about depression or something like that, and maybe they realize, oh, my parent was depressed all his or her life. And, of course, that affects the relationship there because that the client grew up in an environment with a depressed parent. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's almost inevitable that relationships are brought into the therapy journey. So don't be afraid of that. 
you know, when you're going in to, um, to see your therapist or if you're thinking about going to see a therapist, um, just know that, that it's part of it. You know, I would think most therapists take a family history um, as, as part of their intake process. I know I do, even if it's not necessarily in the first session. I, I think I don't want to use the absolute of always, but I would say eventually it comes, it comes up in, in the first few sessions. You know, tell me about, you know, how, how life was when you were growing up because it's important to treatment planning and understanding where the client is coming from. So let's talk about what a controlling relationship might look like because, again, it could be very um, blatant where, you like, it's obvious or it could be very subtle. So it can start with things like somebody telling you how you should dress or what you're supposed to do when you grow up. Um, that's a very interesting one um, that I'll get into in a few seconds. Um, whether or not you're supposed to play sports or be a cheerleader or dance or drama or whatever, extracurricular activities that maybe you're, you have to do or you're told you have to do. Maybe, they, maybe you're told who to talk to. Maybe you're told that you can't associate with these kind of people. And like I said, it's, you know, things that are just different ways that somebody can try and control you. And very often it, it's, it starts out as little, little things. And some of them are important. I mean, I'm not trying to get into, you know, parenting exactly during this episode, you know, but of course it's, it's important. Parenting is different than crossing boundaries in this sense of the, of the word. So of course I don't think it's wrong for parents to, to try and control the behavior of, of their children who's throwing like a tantrum on the floor, you know, so, so get where I'm coming from here. Um, they're two, two separate issues. So in talking about relationships and controlling, I'm, I'm really talking more about not parenting, not the parenting relationships where they're, they're trying to set healthy parenting guidelines and rules and stuff like that. So, so let's think about some of the subtle ways in which there's actually control. I have worked with um, young adults, college age, or um, older teenagers that are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. And does that mean going to college or, you know, getting a job or whatever? And oftentimes, um, not all the time, oftentimes I have seen where they come from a family and, and you've probably heard of, of this because it's, you know, fairly common, but I come from a family long line of we'll say electricians, maybe plumbers, or maybe it's you know, my whole family is uh, family is all lawyers or whatever. You get the idea. And so it is expected, expected that I am supposed to be, I'm supposed to go to school to be a lawyer. I'm supposed to go to trade school to become a, a plumber or electrician. And so you get a young client and they're like, I have, I don't want to do any of that. Or, or they go and they, they find out they hate it. And, and when it comes into being controlling, 
is if that family is not accepting of that, that kid or young adult in the family of not wanting to follow along in the family footsteps. It's, it's a subtle way and it's a very difficult situation for somebody to be in. Um, but it's something to think about because that, that is all part of a controlling relationship. Now, is it necessarily pathological? No, but, you know, I've also fast forward, we'll say like 10 years and the young adult who followed through and, you know, maybe went to law school and maybe now actually hates their career well, now that they've kind of been there, done that, they maybe have more freedom to go back and, and choose a different career. It's kind of taken the long way around. It's kind of the long-term result of having a, a sense of a, a controlling situation. So that's one way. That's, again, more subtle, typically not pathological um, because, again, you know, it, it depends on the person on whether or not it, it actually is pathological, but hopefully in, in situations like that, they can, they can get themselves out and, and actually get to whatever career where they will feel happy. We can backtrack a little and talk about more pathological control. And I see this very, very often in young relationships, like think teenagers and then early, early adulthood um, and sometimes into middle adulthood. And sometimes, believe it or not, when you get into um, the older generation where um, it's interesting because it's, it's almost like a whole generational value change where you might see somebody back in, back in the day where, yeah, um, stereotypes, gender roles and stereotypes were much more prevalent, you know, Clients, if they were necessarily like female and definitely have mentioned that they feel or felt like they had been controlled throughout their marriage and maybe, you know, there was a, a, a death or a divorce um, and, and they don't know what to do because they've always had their role, their controlled role. Um, and so that's, a, that's another interesting way to think about controlling relationships but very often in what I see in younger generation is where there is controlling behaviors that become pathological. So think about something like this. If, you're, if you have a significant other and that significant other decides they are going to check your emails, sometimes even with permission, I would even say that, but we'll say for this, for this discussion with or without your permission, or they check your social media, or they constantly blow up your phone when you might be at work or you might be out with other friends, or maybe you're even just doing something at home. Um, and they're constantly blowing up your phone and then they start getting mad or agitated if you don't respond right away. Those are some really serious red flags going on there. And the reason is think about it. I come from a generation where cell phones were just starting to, you know, be, be up and coming. Um, I remember 
<laughs> we had like bag phones and they were huge. Like they just stayed in the car. And then they had, you know, the big, like they were like a brick, like the size of a brick cell phones. I didn't have one of those. I actually didn't have a cell phone until I went to graduate school. So I was what, 22? Kind of grew up, I did. I grew up in, in a generation where we, I knew what it was like to not have internet and to not have cell phones. And so what I want you to think about is there was a time where you couldn't actually get somebody anytime you wanted. Like you could not pick up a phone and in five minutes reach the person you're trying to get, whether it's through like in the middle of the workday or, you know, sometime at, at, you know, at night um, you had to call the house phone and, you know, there might've been call waiting. And if someone was on the phone or, or even before call waiting, you, excuse me, you would get like the, um, a busy signal. And so, um, when you realize that you don't have to be at somebody's beck and call, like I do not have to respond back to you immediately. I can read your message and, oh, well, I'm busy or whatever. I can't get back to you right now. Those are okay. Like that is okay. And so that's what I'm saying is if you don't do that or you don't call somebody back because you're working like I can't imagine being on the phone all day at work like I don't call my husband every day I call him every once in a while usually it's at lunch to check in and be like hey how you doing um but that doesn't happen all the time he almost never calls me if he does I think I usually I'm like what's going on because he like I said he almost never calls me because he knows that if I'm in session I'm not going to answer him anyway it's, it, I think it's just different. So if you're with a partner who doesn't realize those kind of things are going on and they get mad or upset that you don't call them back right away, that's a toxic relationship. Um, if anybody wants to check your emails or check your social media, now again, we're talking partners. I'm not talking parenting when parents should be monitoring what, what their children are doing. So again, that is separate but I'm talking partners and significant others. So checking your emails or your social media or whatever, um, you know, counts because I'm not a big social media person, so I don't even know what they all are. But, I mean, I've heard of Instagram and TikTok and all that, but I don't have those. Um, but even if they do it with permission, you know, hey, you know, let, me, let, me see your, let me see your texts. Why? You don't need to see my texts. That's actually considered an invasion of privacy. Not so much when they ask for your permission, um, but if they do it without you knowing or um, behind your back, that's called invasion of privacy. Um, and basically shows that there's a complete lack of trust from that person for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, usually has something to do with something that happened in the past, but that's an excuse because trust is a choice and you cannot fix that. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you let them check your email, which don't, you shouldn't do, <laughs> um, or your texts or, you know, see there's nothing going on on my social media or my Facebook and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. You're not going to fix it. You're just feeding into the the mistrust. And so that is for the partner to go and get help for. 
um, because that's not going to go away. It's going to just get worse and worse and worse um, if if someone stays in a relationship like that. So I'll tell you a story. Well, I was in, this must have been, let me think, um, uh, senior year, like second half senior year of college going into graduate school. And I had a boyfriend at the time. I'm not going to say his name. Interestingly enough, I don't know, I guess I don't know why he came clean and told me he was doing this because I would have had no idea um, because, again, technologically challenged. Um, he put he had a friend of his put some kind of weird tracking thing on my emails so he can read. So all of my emails that I would send out would also go to him. And for some reason, he told me that he did that. I think it's because I had emailed one of my um, one of my friends and he was like, explain this what does this mean and whatever he never really done anything like that before um to my recollection he never said like oh you can't hang out with these people or what like so like I said this was this was kind of out of the blue but it definitely was the like the um a huge red flag that was like okay I'm done with this done with this relationship um but yeah he he basically emailed me was like explain this or whatever and I was like what are you talking about like how did you get my emails and you know uh, granted I'll, I'll say he was honest at least I I believe he was honest in saying oh like, he told me he had a friend do that and I about flipped out <laughs> and said are you serious I was like do you realize that's illegal and I didn't know who the friend was and I was like it it if you told me, I would call the police. I would call the police on both of you. And I, I basically just said, take it off right now. And as far as I know, he did. That was about it. And, and we broke up um, after that. So huge, huge, huge red flag. So if somebody is doing something like that and, and saying, let, let me check your emails. I need to check your emails, your text. If they just, I've even heard clients say that their significant other just grabs their phone and starts looking through it. Uh, nobody has the right to do that. That is your, that's your privacy. That's, that's yours. And that's a major boundary violation. It's something to think about. What happens when, when you're in a relationship like that? And this again is really kind of simplified First, of course, is is no. You have to recognize when when things are not going well, or when boundaries are being crossed. Is probably a better way to say it. It's important to know when boundaries are being crossed. Most of the time, you can feel it, um, or at least I can. Um, if, if one of my boundaries is crossed, I like I get a gut feeling, and I'm like something does not feel right. It and it feels icky. It feels very icky. You especially, especially, especially feel it um, in, in my world if we ever work with clients who have the personality disorders. Um, and if you don't know what those are, you're, you know, you can Google what personality disorders are, but do not try to diagnose yourself um, because we all have personalities and we all have like little pieces of the symptoms that could be part of a personality disorder. But there's so much more to 
diagnosing something like that. So again, do not diagnose yourself. Do not go online and be like, oh, I think I have this one. No, can only be diagnosed by mental health clinician. Um, I don't, I would think it's safe to say, I don't even think doctors aside from psychiatrists would, would diagnose the personality disorder. Um, but I don't know that for a fact. So, but in any case, a mental health professional um, is the person who needs to diagnose a personality disorder. So, yeah, whenever um, I've worked with clients with, within the personality disorder realm of um, clinical mental health, like you just feel like, or at least I did, I just felt when they were trying to push boundaries because, again, it makes you feel icky. Be in tune with, with your feelings, and sometimes that's a little hard, um, but, you know, mindfulness, with which we talked about a long time ago, um, you know, when I did the episodes about COVID, um, you can use mindfulness not just for trying to notice if you're feeling anxious or um, depressed or, or that kind of thing, but you can also use mindfulness to pay attention to if something doesn't feel right. You know, it, again, gut feeling, are my boundaries being pushed or, you know... Um, does something just not sit right? And so something to, to think about and, and maybe a challenge to work on over this week is try to use some mindfulness and, and see if you can figure out who's pushing your boundaries and who's not. Um, and so the, what do you do? Well, of course, if you have a therapist, that's great. Go and talk to your therapist about it. If you don't, then I highly recommend going and finding somebody because here's the thing. When you're in a controlling relationship, sometimes it's really, really hard to get out. Um, and I'm not getting, again, severity-wise, there's the gambit. There's little tiny things that somebody might try and do to be controlling. And there's the extreme where it might get to a point of domestic violence. And I'm not really talking about the extremes. I'm kind of talking general. Um, of course, if you're experiencing something like domestic violence, you can reach out for help. Um, there are shelters, there are women's shelters that are private that can try and help keep you safe. Um, but even before that, therapy can, can really help because you have a support person. You have somebody who can help find those resources for you um, if you're trying to leave. Um, and know that um, I don't have the exact figure, um, so this may not be accurate anymore, but the last time I looked, it took an average of eight tries before somebody was actually out of a domestic violence situation. So again, that is the extreme. Um, so therapy because it gets you a support person. It helps um, get you connected with resources that you may not know exist. Um, what else can you do if you find yourself in a controlling relationship? Remember, I, I say this to, to a lot of young, younger clients, uh, teenagers, younger teenagers, young adults. Remember your life existed before this person was in it. So sometimes it's, it's fun to think back like, oh my gosh, before I knew that boys or girls existed, um, before puberty and all the hormones and, you know, I need to get with this person and all that, before that happened, you know, 
there was a time where you're happy and um, you're, you know, you were by yourself in terms of relationship, in terms of romantic relationship. And so sometimes reframing the situation gives you hope and gives you motivation to be like, mm, I will be okay. You know, if I'm not with this person, I will be okay. And then learn to set healthy limits and boundaries. Sometimes that's hard because if you start setting healthy limits and boundaries, typically the controlling person is not going to like that at all and may not stay in the relationship. I have another one. This is a, this is a good one. I was, this is a different person. I think I was still in graduate school and, um, this person actually said like wanted to go away for the weekend. Um, I don't, I don't remember where, um, but he, he had asked me, he's like, yeah, he's like, I wouldn't go on a weekend trip or something like that. And I was super busy with whatever I was doing in school at the time. Cause when, you know, grad school, you don't have a lot of downtime. Um, and so he became upset that I was, I just said, no, I, I'm, I don't want to go. I don't want to go do that. I'm, you know, even if, I don't even know if I told him I was busy. I just didn't want to go and basically threw a fit. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like my life does not revolve around you. I'm, you know, I'm not going to go. And I believe, I think he broke up with me. He was like, but he mentioned something about uh, thinking he was a narcissist uh, or asking me if I would have diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder. One, I was like, I'm not going to diagnose you with anything. It's not my place to do that. I said, but if you think that you have that, then you should go and, and see somebody about that. And I think that's kind of where we left it. And I, I don't think I ever talked to him after that. Um, but yeah, that's just a good, good example of um, a controlling person and how they reacted to me setting a limit and boundary. Learning to set healthy limits and boundaries. If you don't know how to set healthy limits and boundaries, because sometimes that's hard you can get help, you can learn how to do it by working with your therapist. Um, yeah, sometimes it is not fun to be the person who sets healthy limits and boundaries, especially when you're in a relationship, of, again, of any kind, whether it's a friend, coworker, whatever, um, even if you, if you set your healthy limits and boundaries, they're probably not, if they don't have good healthy boundaries, yeah, um, is probably going to be hard. It's hard to be the bad guy is maybe a good way to say it because um, that's sometimes what it feels like is, is you feel like the bad guy when you're setting good, healthy limits and boundaries. But no, that, that's why because you're setting good, good limits and boundaries and the other person is not accepting of them or, um, you know, continues to try and push until they don't push anymore because they know they're not going to get away with whatever boundary they're trying to push. So um, I had mentioned this before. Trust is a choice. So you can choose to trust or when you're, if it's your significant others like, Oh, well, you know, I was cheated on before or, um, you know, it's cause I, you know, and I didn't learn how to, I have trust issues. Well, I already said that that's for the partner to go and get help with 
because trust is a choice. And, and the hard part is trust allows you to be vulnerable. And that's the hard part because if a trust has been broken, it, it hurts. It hurts. And so that's where the mistrust comes from because people don't want to get hurt. And so it's understandable, but it can also be worked on. And if you want to have a healthy relationship, there needs to be trust. And really, I, I think I said this, it kind of ties into remember your life existed before this relationship or before this person was in it. Um, know that if the relationship should happen to dissolve, that you will be okay. And that's something to kind of get into into your head. And maybe it does fit more with romantic relationships. Family is is kind of another another issue, maybe another podcast episode is relationships in the family um, because that, again, relationships, there's a whole lot. It's a loaded, loaded topic. Um, but to sum up, if a relationship should dissolve, just know that you'll be okay because, again, your life existed before you were in any kind of romantic relationships. So um, I know that's a lot. Again, um, I think... Right now, I'm going to stop with just talking about controlling, the controlling relationship for this episode, because as I look at the time, I, I'm at like 36 minutes. And so I will continue next time. Um, I don't know. Out of the ones that I said, we'll have to think of which one I want to do next. There's codependent and mooching and constant drama autopilot. And if there's any any aspects, any types of relationships that you'd like me to talk about, again, go to the website uh, on Facebook. Remember, it's Let's Talk Therapy Podcast. If you search for it, um, go and, and make a comment and say like, hey, why don't you talk about this type of relationship? And I'd be glad to. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So thank you so much for tuning in again. I really appreciate you listening. Um, again, uh, I'm very blessed to be able to, to do something like this. Um, my, again, my private practice is sponsoring it, Meridian Psychological Services. Um, so if you're interested in sponsoring, again, you can contact TJ at Bluestream Media and um, he will let you know how to go about being a sponsor. Thank you again. I hope you all have a great day, a great Monday. Thanks.